0: Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, so good to be with you again this Sunday. Uh, if we haven't met, and like Connor said, my name is Steve. I am the, the sending director here, and uh, I've gotten to have a lot of fun up on this stage over the last month if you've been with us. We've gotten to pray for a lot of different groups of people. We prayed for people that we're sending out to plant churches around the world. We got to pray for staff that have been a part of uh, the chapel for for decades. We get to pray for these seniors, uh, and, and if you're new with us, what I hope it shows you is that we're not a static church. We're not a church that just wants to come and, and hear some stuff and worship and then go back out into the world um, and just kind of do what everybody else does. But we're a dynamic church that moves and helps people actively meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. So if you're new with us, I want to say welcome. That's the type of family that this church is. And we would love for you to, to be a part. I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. Uh, Kevin, who's normally up here, is still taking some time uh, to be with family and get a little bit of a rest. He'll be back with you next week, uh, and I'm excited to continue in this series through Psalms. We, we started last week, if you were with us, uh, kind of introing the book of Psalms, giving some good foundational principles. We'll revisit some of those today. But for the rest of the summer, we're going to take the next 16 weeks to go through four mini-series through different aspects of the Psalms. Uh, We're gonna be looking for the next four weeks at the Psalms of Lament. How do we enter in with God when our emotions and the things around us are really difficult? We're gonna look at at Psalms of Praise. We're gonna look at Psalms that help us trust. And I can't remember the fourth one, and I couldn't remember the fourth one last service either. I should have looked in, in, uh, in the middle. But you, we'll get there, and you'll be able to see it at that point. But for these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at Psalms of Lament. And, and I think, and in, in my experience, maybe in yours, lamenting is not really something we've been trained to do well. Even in our, our culture, but maybe more significantly in our church culture. There's been a couple different extremes. Really, just 10 years ago, it was all about, you know, let's let's just kind of stuff our, our feelings and our emotions, right? I mean, have been told big girls don't cry, boys of any kind don't cry. Um, if you're sad or if you're depressed or if you're discouraged, there's a problem with your spirituality. That's what uh, kind of the underlying message, I think, has been but the culture has also kind of swung the pendulum all the way to the other side that now says your your strong emotions actually define you the things that that you feel the things that uh, that that you identify with those things actually begin to define you and so we're kind of here stuck in the middle trying to trying to live in between what do we do with these emotions do we let them define us or do we stuff them and I think we've done a really bad job of the church in America of allowing people to actually be honest with where we are and how we feel. And because of that, we don't do a great job of even being able to walk with people who are hurting. We have platitudes that we might say like, let go and let God, just, just trust God, just, just wait a little longer, everything will work out, in the end think about all the good things that you have in your life or why don't you just compare yourself to other people who have it much worse than you and what we begin to do instead of actually walking with people and letting them feel and knowing how to love them we we take a little bit of what I'll call Jesus air freshener and we'll just kind of say feel better We want to help you want to help it smell better for you we know it's really hard, but uh, it's going to be okay. Connor actually thought that I had this up here because there was going to be a bunch of high school boys. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's actually a, an illustration for us. And I think it's, I think it's a good one. It's, I didn't come up with it, so I can call it a good one. I think this is what we tend to do, right? We, we say, I need to find the right Jesus phrase. I need to find the right verse. I need to find the right statement. I need to find the right thing to help You, or to help me feel better rather than allowing ourselves to enter in with God. To be honest with the feelings that are there and to trust him enough that he's not insulted, that he's not surprised and he wants to meet us there. But without that permission that I don't know if the church has given questions begin to arise and maybe you've had some of these questions maybe maybe you've wondered am I allowed to have doubts where do I go with my hard questions what if I'm angry at God is that okay Am I allowed to ask my questions? Am I allowed to struggle with my faith? And maybe you've felt like I can't come to church. I can't come to God with those questions. I need to come in on Sunday morning to a place where I can raise my hand and put on a smile. And and that everybody would think that things are okay. And what that then begins to do to us is if that's the posture that we come in, then we only have two options. Either we stuff everything and we hide our emotions from the world, or we're going to run away from the church. Because does God really get me? Does He see me? Does He care about where I'm at? So I think Psalms of Lament are going to give us some tools, give us some handlebars, give us some permission to bring these things before God. After last Sunday's message, uh, I introduced uh, some some principles that we'll take throughout Psalms, and one of the things I was talking about was if we make ourselves the center of our prayers, then we make God a cosmic vending machine for the things that we want. And after, after that service, I got a text from a friend that I really appreciated, Uh, She said this, I agree, God is not a cosmic vending machine, but then what is the purpose of asking for something in prayer? And as we began to talk about this, I realized that she was bringing up a tension that I wonder if we all feel. It's this tension between good theology and strong emotions, Good theology in my understanding of who God is and what he does and who he is for me and how we interact together. Good theology and strong emotions. How do we live in that gap? If God is really in control, which we believe, and if everything really is gonna work out in the end in heaven, which we believe, then why not just buck up and Endure? Why not just make it and just trust that everything's going to be okay? But what we see in the Psalms is a completely different posture. It's, It's one of acknowledging where we are, it's one of coming to God with need and with emotion. And what I think that the Psalms, especially of lament, will begin to show us is not just how do we trust God, but how do we interact with God? How do we actually come to him in the day-to-day struggle? So I love that she asked that question. Now, I wonder how many questions you've had around these topics that you haven't felt comfortable enough or haven't felt permission in church to be able to come with. But the Psalms are going to give us a model, give us a picture of what this looks like. Now, I am not a psychologist. I am not an MD. Uh, I, I am not able to come up here and say, here's how we can just solve all mental health issues and those types of things. Uh, the purpose of today is not to say, hey, whatever you you're coming in with, feel better, right? The purpose of going through this is to find a model of someone that can take these emotions and bring them to God. We're going to see a guy that is wrestling, struggling, complaining, longing, accusing, and hoping and trusting all at the same time. I think it's a model that we need. So allow me to pray for us uh, before we jump in. So, Father, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for your word. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would come and speak. We all bring in hurt. We all bring in pain, even either in our own lives or somebody right next to us. And we need your guidance. We need your hope. We need your, your peace. We need to know that you're there and that you care for us. So, I pray that we'd meet you today. Because if it's just what I have to say, then nothing good happens. We need to hear your voice. So, if there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, take it out of my mind. And if there's anything that you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because we want to hear your voice and encounter your spirit and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like Connor said, we're going to be in Psalm 42. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read the whole thing. It's also going to be on the screens. But what I'd like for you to do, even even if you're able, close your eyes as I read this and try to enter into the emotion and the vivid language that he's talking about. Some of the things are going to be language that we don't typically use. um, So I'll do my best to try to unpack what's really going on here. But um, if you need to read along with me, you can read along with me. But I'd encourage you to close your eyes and just try to enter in to how he's feeling here. So Psalm 42 starting in verse one. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on in this situation. The little introduction to this psalm tells us this is written by the sons of Korah, which would be the priests in the temple that would lead the the musical worship. And they have put together this song about a specific situation that we don't know a lot about. What we do know is that there's a guy that's really struggling. He's lost hope in a good outcome actually coming to the situation that he's dealing with. We know that there are foes coming against him. Now, in the Psalms, foes can be an actual army that is coming against somebody, or it can be situations or circumstances outside of their control uh, that are threatening their, their peace and their hope. We know that this guy is distressed. Maybe we could even say depressed. And his soul is downcast. But it's not just within him that the doubts and the struggles come, but there are people around him that are actually saying, why are you trusting in God? Now, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but if I could use for a minute what I've heard described as sanctified imagination and just kind of paint in some of the context, I imagine this looking like a guy that is struggling with something and people are coming to him and saying, hey, how are you doing? And he's publicly declaring, I trust God. But it's taking a very long time, and people keep asking him, he keeps saying, I trust God. And people, I think, would start saying, man, if God is real, he's certainly forgotten you. Why are you continuing to trust in him? So he's got these people from the outside mocking his faith in God. He's got doubts rising up from within, When was the last time you felt that way? Maybe that's where you are today. Saying, God, where are you? Did you you forget what's going on? Do you feel like you can come to him in that? Now, What I want to do is look at this psalm and and grab five, I don't want to call them steps, because that almost seems like if you follow these steps, you, you'll, you'll be happy, but five things that we see this psalmist do, and I'm going to take them a little out of order from the actual flow here. Uh, one of the things I think we struggle with in, uh, through a Western context, so think America, Canada, Australia, Europe, our Western line of thinking uh, is, is really a logical progression of, of you know, a linear, A plus B equals C. We like lines that just kind of thread right through something. We kind of follow it from beginning to end. But from most of the rest of the world would attack logic more from what we'll call an Eastern standpoint, where instead of just kind of going in a line, they'll just kind of talk around an issue. And that's hard for us sometimes as we approach the Bible because we want to look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, much of what was written through an Eastern context. We want to look at it from A plus B plus C and it goes this way. But what we see here is not just this progressive, I'm gonna do this first and then this first and then this first. So I wanna take some of this out of order so that we can actually get into this guy's mind and kind of look at what he's doing. So uh, starting in verse nine, we see our first point if you're taking notes. uh, This guy asks the why questions. He Asks the why questions. In verse nine, it says this, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Now, I can't tell if this is a faith-filled statement or if this is a sarcastic statement, right? Because he's like, I call to you my rock, the one on whom I will never be moved, my solid place. Why have you forgotten me? I feel like what he's doing here is really giving this tension between strong emotions and good theology. I know who you are, but I certainly don't feel it right now. And I think this part of lament scares us. I think it scares us to be honest with God and say, you know what? I just don't think you're there right now. It doesn't feel like you're with me. I have no idea what you're doing. What we see in this psalm is that's exactly how God wants us to approach him. In fact, I think it's actually probably insulting to God for us to hide our emotions from him and think that he doesn't know exactly where we are. In fact, I think faith should empower us to lean into our emotions, not suppress them. Because any bit of faith that we can muster would have us believe that God's bigger than our doubts. He's bigger than our emotions and I can trust him with where I really am and believe that he's not scared of them. He's not insulted by our doubts. He's not insulted or surprised by our questions. What he wants is a relationship with the real us. The Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, one of the first 12 disciples, wrote a couple letters to the church that was scattered throughout Asia Minor, those that were suffering under persecution. And at the end of that letter, he in chapter five, uh, he tells us this He, he says that we should cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. It doesn't say, shame on you for having anxieties. But he also, or Paul elsewhere says, don't be anxious about anything, right? So it is something to fight. It's something to move away from, but it's this tension. I have these anxieties. I'm not supposed to. What do I do with them? And Peter says, bring them to God. Throw them and yourself at his feet. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he sees you. Because he wants to know you. Not in a I'm looking into your soul kind of way, but in a relationship kind of way. One of our five values at this church is authentic relationships. We say we commit to being real with God, ourselves, and others. And if we are going to actually help people meet, know, and follow Jesus, that can't just be a sign on the wall. We actually need to enter in and be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with others. We need to be honest with God about where we are. So if you've never felt permission in church or in Christianity to bring your real self in honesty before God, that's a good first step. God wants you to come to him in your real, raw form. But what we see in the psalmist is that's not where he stays, and he continues to move. And the second thing I want us to notice is he recognizes his thirst for God. Back to verse 1, he says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, I used to see this as a really sweet disposition, as somebody who clearly was spending time daily with Jesus for decades and they, they just love being with him. They want the next time and almost like this longing of, oh man, I just drank yesterday, but I, I need it again because I'm so thirsty because I just love Jesus so much. That's kind of how I used to see this, uh, this verse. But the more I meditated on this psalm in its context, I don't think that's our guy. I don't think this is a sweet disposition. I think this is like a deer that is running for his life from a predator and has been for a very long time. And he's saying, I am so thirsty. I haven't had a drink of water in a long time. And if I don't find streams soon, I'm gonna fall down and die. I have no chance. That's the type of longing I think this guy is experiencing. It's a guy that has not met with God in a while. He remembers what it was like. He knows that that's what he needs, but he's not had that experience in a while. Again, we don't know what's going on. Maybe he's been driven out of the city and he can't actually go to the temple. Maybe he's having to run so he doesn't have any community. But for whatever reason, this guy has not been able to spend time in the presence of God of God and the language that he uses make it seem like he's feeling despair from inside and from outside but there's also vivid language here that makes it seem like this guy believes that all of earth all of hell and all of heaven are conspiring against him listen to verse 9 or verse 7 it says deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls and your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, this is not language that we, we typically use, but as I read some scholars to try to figure out what is this guy trying to communicate, most of them agree that this guy, is what he's feeling is drowning and crushing at the same moment that he's drowning in the water beneath him as the waves continue to rise and he can't get his eyes or his nose or his mouth above the water. But there's also this waterfall that's crushing him from uh, from the top. He's drowning, he's being crushed, he can't see any way out of this and he feels like everything in the universe is conspiring against him. And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you know what that feels like and you don't know how to jump out of it. I think that's where this guy is. He doesn't know how to jump out of this. He's in a wrestling match. He's not on the other side saying, hey, follow me. I found the way to happiness. He's not saying, hey, if you read this, everything's gonna smell a little bit better. He's saying, Listen to my wrestling match. And if that's where you're feeling right now, or that's where you've been, I wanna take a moment to just pause and recognize, Jesus knows what that feels like. In fact, you may feel like all of earth, heaven and hell is conspiring against you, but the only one in the history of the universe that actually experienced heaven and hell and earth conspiring against him is Jesus. The men and women of the earth rejected him and sent him to the cross. Hell rejoiced because they thought that they had won. And the father turned his face away. And Jesus himself declared while hanging on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the only one that has ever experienced everything in the universe conspiring against him. And he did it so that you wouldn't have to. He bore that so that you would never have to actually encounter the universe conspiring against you. It may feel like it in the moment, but on that cross, He took the final penalty and empowered us to live this life with and for Him. It doesn't make it easy, but he bore that for us and, and he bore it for us, not just so that we wouldn't have to, but so that he can relate. The author of Hebrews in verse, or, uh, chapter four, verse 15 says this, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. There is no human experience that Jesus himself did not encounter and live, yet he did it without sin so that when he paid the penalty, it was a perfect substitute, one that we could never pay. And he did it so that we would not have to encounter it, and he did it so that he can relate to whatever it is you're feeling at this moment. And the psalmist continues, the next thing I want us to see is that he remembers the goodness of God. God. Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. One of the great themes of the Bible is the command to remember. All throughout the history of God's people, they're commanded to remember the acts of God, the faithfulness of God, the mighty things that he has done. And often they were commanded to set up a monument or an altar, a physical representation at a specific place so that anytime they passed it and anytime they brought future generations to it, they could point to it and say, this is here to remind us that God is good. To remind us that no matter what is going on, he has always been good. And I think one of the things that this guy is able to do is remember what it was like. He got to experience the goodness of God and that enables his faith to lean into God because if we haven't experienced or don't know the goodness of God, then why would we go to him in the first place? This guy remembers what it was like and that drives him back to God. His faith is bolstered because he had seen God's goodness firsthand at some point in his life. And then he moves into this refrain uh, that is repeated several times. Now, a lot of scholars and and many Hebrew texts actually put uh, Psalm 42 and 43 together as one psalm. And in those two psalms, the phrase that I'm about to read occurs three different times as it's going through and what we see this guy doing in the midst of this wrestling match is he preaches to his own soul he is actually taking charge rather than allowing his soul to preach to him he is preaching truth to his soul and he says this in verse five why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. His his prayer is between him and God, but his prayer is also between himself and his own soul. He's pitting his faith against his fear. He's allowing his hope to argue with his sorrow, He's not letting his emotions change the truth that he believes, but he's letting the truth that he believes allow him to experience and confront his emotions. He has enough faith and enough trust in God being good that he doesn't feel like he has to hide. And he chooses to speak truth over his situation. He's choosing to direct the truth that he believes And this is why the principle that we talked about last week of meditating on God's word as a central habit in our life is so important. We need a source of truth to constantly grab from. We need roots that go deep into the river of God's word so that when we enter those seasons where we're crushed from above and drowning from below that we actually have stores to be able to say, no, 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 soul, this is true. No matter what is happening, no matter how far away God looks, I know this to be true. This is also why it's so important to have the right concept of blessing, like we talked about last week. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go online and, and listen to the, the message that's recorded there because there's foundational principles that we're going to take throughout this entire series. But the concept of blessing, if we believe, if we expect that God's blessing means we're only going to have good things and we're going to avoid pain and suffering, then we have no hope and no confidence when bad things come. Because the only thing to think at that point is, God has forgotten me. He's not going to bless me. But something else I want you to notice is that the psalmist declaration of truth doesn't automatically fix the problem. It doesn't automatically remove the emotions. If we take Psalm 42 and 43 together, then what we see is a guy that is declaring his despair and then declaring truth. But then he declares his despair and then he declares truth. And then into Psalm 43, he declares his despair. And then he declares truth again. This is not a model to say if you say the right things and follow the right steps, then everything is good. This is not coming to God with your air freshener saying, no. Which I think is often what we do. No, I'm not going re- to think that. I just must not have done my quiet time today. If I just go back and do that, then everything's gonna be good. Oh, I just didn't pray hard enough. We don't see a silver bullet in this psalm that makes everything bright and shiny. We see somebody who is engaging in the daily struggle, the daily wrestling match between good theology and strong emotions. We see what it actually looked like to actively pursue God in the midst of pain or in the midst of joy wherever we are. It's admitting where we are and how hard it is and then clinging, forcing ourselves to cling, pulling ourselves, teaching our soul to cling to God over and over and over again. And the last thing that we see is that the psalmist sings of God's steadfast love verse 8 by day the lord directs his love at night his song is with me a prayer to the god of my life there's a worship song that is stuck in this guy's mind and it's all about the love of god but the type of love that we see here is not the oh i love you type of love it's the hebrew type of love that is translated as hesed Most English translations translate it as steadfast love, to try to get some of the intensity of what that word means. It really is a type of love that only God himself can have. It's a faithful love, it's a loyal love, it's a never ending love, it's a never giving up kind of love. It's the same type of love that gives us the concept in the New Testament of grace. A type of love that we can't deserve, that we can never earn, that we can't maintain, that we can't keep up. It's the kind of love that we have to sing and we have to remember because without it, what can we actually hold on to? If it were up to us to maintain that kind of love, if it were up to our circumstances or what we could do to maintain God's favor, then our default position should be despair because we can never keep that up. But if God's love is true, then it is that love, that Hesed, steadfast love, that sent his son Jesus to the cross. The cross is the proof of God's steadfast love. It reveals his steadfast love and that he gave up the most precious thing to him so that he might be a sacrifice for us. And it also enables God's steadfast love to allow us to approach God, that we can actually enter his presence without being struck down dead because Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved. And when we come before God, we get to come cleansed, pure, because of what Jesus has done. We read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 earlier. I wanna read it again and add the verse that comes after. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, therefore, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Since we have a high priest that can relate to us, but is also the one who made the way for us to approach the throne of grace, we can now approach the God of the universe, the God who is full of steadfast love, enter his throne room, and we can be real and we can be honest and we can be authentic about where we are. Because it's never been about us maintaining a facade. It's never about us having the right stature and the right reputation. It rests fully on what Jesus has done. I don't have to keep up appearances. And I can be real about what's going on. Without the steadfast love of God, there is no hope in the universe there is no confidence there is no way out of despair and if you don't know that steadfast love through jesus if you have not trusted in the god that has sent his son to enable us to come to him then i can't offer you any hope all we can say then is good luck But Jesus came to this planet, lived a perfect life, and died a death that we deserved. Rose from the dead three days later so that we can approach the throne of grace for what we need. And when you say yes to Jesus and you approach the throne of grace and you walk up to the Father, Jesus is standing right there and he gets to say, now he's with me. She's with me. Don't worry about all the things that she's done. I covered that. I vetted that. I paid for that. Let them through. That's the gospel of Jesus. That there's nothing that we can do. To cover our despair, to pay for our sin, to have purpose in this life. But the God of the universe says, Come. I'll make the way for you. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, let this be the day. And allow his cleansing work on the cross to be your invitation in his presence, to find hope, to find life. There's nothing you have to do other than saying, yeah, I believe that. And then as a church, we can acknowledge that there's no silver bullet, that it's not about coming to church and leaving all happy and having us happiness for the the rest of the week. There's no silver bullet to just make everything feel better, but we get to declare together that God is good and that he's in control and that together we can honestly and authentically approach the throne of grace to find the help that we need and then trust him to use us for that hope to flow to the rest of this world. That's all we have. So if you've grown up in church feeling like you don't have permission to approach that throne of grace with who you really are, with the questions, the doubts, the struggles, the despair, the anxiety, the depression, he who sits on the throne says, come. Bring all of that. And Jesus stands next to the throne saying, Yeah, they're with me. Not because of what they've done, but because of what I've done. Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful for Jesus. We thank you that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make you love us less. That if we have given ourselves to Jesus, then we have all we need. Thank you for making that way. God, I pray for all of us in this room as I would imagine the hard things in life are readily right now available at the front of our minds. I pray that you would give us grace to approach your throne with those, to be honest. But don't leave us there, Jesus. Fill us with trust that you have always been and will continue to be good. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end with a song that is very appropriate for what we are talking about today. It's How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I would encourage you to draw to mind those things that maybe you have been afraid to bring to God or the questions that are there or the the pain or the hopelessness or the despair that's there and sing God's love over it. Preach to your soul. Sing to your soul. And allow God to minister to you in this place. So would you stand with us as we sing this song? Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.